Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JME Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And Jack, we're just going to spend the next hour and a half absolutely roasting the students. As we should. I think so. As we should. But no, we well, got an exciting one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is our, our weakest intro for one of, I think, one of our most exciting <laughs> podcasts I think we've had in a long time. I mean, JMU Twitter has been set ablaze with takes from every at corner of the of the universe. Um, we the got into in some Twitter spats, both on JMU Sports News Twitter, on our personal Twitters. Um, Bennett is currently looking for the cockroach that he killed two episodes ago. Um, but it's going to be a fantastic episode breaking down. I mean, I think the fan aspect of it has been played out to death on Twitter. That doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it. Cause I think it's definitely a lot of content for us to discuss, <laughs> but a majority of this podcast, I hope is more so what the on the field product was against Marshall and the coaching blunders that it seemed to have just snowballed over the last two weeks. Yeah, we had a specific request from Peter Mooney to talk about football. Um, so we will we will fulfill that. But we got to talk about three notch first, right? Every Monday, Miniman Mondays. Yep. Three dollar Miniman pints. We got Wednesday game nights. I'm getting a hang of what they do there every <laughs> week doing these. Five dollar flagship pint. Uh, we love three notch. We will be there in under a month now. Make a little yep. visit. So I'm very excited for that. Not sure if we'll do like a live recording of the podcast or something there, but definitely go to Three Notch, check out the Valley Collab House. It's going to be a great time. We'll get ourselves some Minute Man and won't be on a Monday, but a Minute Man Friday when we get in will definitely sure. be necessary. And also Bet Online. Basketball is back, folks, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and always the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events, whether you're an NFL better, a basketball better, an NHL better, MLB World Series better, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. Head to betonline.ag, that's betonline.ag, to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV. It's scrolling along the bottom if you're uh, watching, but I spelled it out for you if you're listening, to receive your re- to receive your rewards. Rewards. There we go. BetOnline, where the game starts. James Robinson is a New York Jet Jack. Did he just get traded from the Jaguars? He did. Are you watching TV as we're recording? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I got a text that said that anyway. Anyway. That's big. Brees Hall just tore his ACL. It won't yeah, it's big. Day. And it's very big for people who have both Travis Etienne and James Robinson on one of their fantasy teams. Now potentially giving them two starting running backs moving forward. I hate you. You know All what right. happened to my fantasy team before we get into this? <laughs> this is no way to captivate an audience by talking. 
no better way than by talking about your own fantasy football team. Amon Ross St. Brown goes down with a concussion within the first quarter of that game. He's my wide receiver one. Technically concussed. Okay, that's my wide receiver one. So that ruins my day. DK Metcalf fears that they tore his patellar tendon in the second or third quarter, and he only had two points when he went out. And so my flex and wide receiver one combined for four points when they're normally combining for like. 35 40 okay we that's it for football for fantasy football sorry about that that's it for football let me sweet it (laughs) (laughs) and basketball preview yeah (laughs) Yeah. all right all right let's talk about the marshall loss so they've lost two games in a row for the first time in seven years which is kind of a insane stat so it's it's been a long time since they've lost two in a row also not to throw any shade at badly because we'll talk about madison and and the great job he did i guess we'll talk about he did a great job in the booth but man, awesome. whenever whenever he comes around the program, it just seems like uh, two losses in a row just seem to follow. I know what's going on with that, but <laughs> no he was really good. He was really good. He's he's definitely got to brush up. Like I think, like most people do, of like getting really crisp with like names on the field and things like that. Yeah. But like in terms of analysis and stuff, I mean the I would say the uh, the ceiling is very high, and I hope that he does more games. Oh, he's he's going to be doing coastal, but. That's good. He did a yeah, awesome way of dropping like breaking down what cover two meant, the four safeties. When they're rocking and rolling, he used that a few times, shading to one side of the field. I mean, really the part was that he broke it down and maybe it wasn't understandable to like the regular fan, because I don't consider us as like regular fans. We watch in way too much football and football analysis as for like the normal person. But it seemed like if you were just a casual fan who doesn't like really understand what cover two and cover four, cover three, what all of that means, he broke it down in a way that you understood it. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. I thought he did a good job of making it understandable and also quick. Sometimes color commentators go on like <laughs> forty-five second tangents about like a, a coverage, and it's like you lost me. But he was he was pretty quick, so I thought that was that was awesome. It's certainly one of the positives. Um, other than that, it was, it was kind of hard to find some positives. So I, I guess we should start before kickoff, like moments before kickoff, when everyone kind of learned that Todd Santeo was not going to play, which I thought came as a very large surprise. Probably the largest shock of this college football season for JMU fans was learning that Todd Santeo wasn't going. Not only that he wasn't going, that there was no news of an injury throughout the entire week. Like there wasn't – all we've known is that he – hurt his shoulder against App State, but he's played in every game since then. I don't think he ever missed – maybe he missed one or two snaps during one of the games when he, he kind of got hit there. I think he the Texas State game briefly. Okay, so – but other than that, like, not much happening. Even after the Texas State game, there wasn't much of a breakdown after that. And we haven't heard necessarily anything that led us to believe that Todd Santeo wasn't going to play. And then literally, what, 10 minutes before kickoff, it's noted that he's not dressed? Yeah, super weird. So I guess Signetti described it as a freak injury where his shoulder, his throwing shoulder, I guess, is still sore or whatever. So he was he would rotate more to, to make it easier on his shoulder. Like he just like twist his body to get a little extra pop where his shoulder wouldn't have to do it. And in the process of doing that, I guess on Thursday, he like strained his oblique. And it sounds like um, Thursday night, Signetti said he thought he was going to play. Friday morning, he realized he probably wasn't going to play. Um, so then they had about a whatever that is, you know, a day or whatever to to prep for Billy Atkins coming in as the starting quarterback. So obviously, a pretty massive 
um, shift when you're losing someone who's like the Sun Belt Player of the Year. <laughs> Arguably, I mean, I know he's we're up kind there. Of, Tim and McCall are like the two, but he's also like putting up numbers that are some of the best in the nation at yeah. times. Like you have one of the better quarterbacks in the nation. Just go down. That's not something you necessarily know how to prepare for and and get ready for. But also, it's worth noting, at least in my opinion, a lot of Jamie fans are like, well, now it's Billy Atkins for the rest of the way. I mean, Todd Santeo's out for the season. He did warm up before the game. He is like, he very well could only miss this game. With a week off now, Signetti doesn't seem too, like, listening to his press his um, Zoom conference today with the Sunbelt coaches and listening to his post-game comments, he was a little short with it. But he does say the the bye week comes at you know quote unquote perfect time. We have a lot of guys injured, and a lot of them will be coming back and get rested. So it's worth noting that I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Mummyans is out for the rest of the season. I think he tried to go on Saturday, he didn't go, and so Louisville very well could be another game time decision, or we might know midway through the bye week that he's going. Signetti says some some things injury wise that don't add up though. He said. Um after the game that he thought that some of them could have been season ending. And then he says today that he's really optimistic about the injury. So um, I guess there were some, <laughs> there were some improvements overnight. We'll talk about no his, idea. we'll talk about his press conference comments in a little bit, because I think they deserve their entire segment on yes. this podcast because man, has he changed his tune over the last two weeks, but, but I don't know what to make of the injury. So obviously if Santeo comes back, it's a big yep. deal. Um, Honestly, man, like the Louisville game is cool. I'd, I'd rather just have him for the three Sunbelt games. Like if he's not ready to go in that one and you can rest him a little more and get him ready and he can play in the three Sunbelt games, I feel like that's those are kind of the more important in terms of like, hey, maybe you can still finish atop the East. I think beating ODU would be a big deal for like rivalry purposes. They've never done that as a program. Like I think that obviously the Louisville game would have a lot of hype and like beating an ACC team. But I think there's there's benefit to also just like if he's able to play in the conference games, that'd be nice. I agree with that, but I also think he's going to want to get on the field as soon as possible because he's playing yeah. for draft stock. Because he's not coming back next year. He does like, and I don't blame him. I would be doing the same exact thing. He doesn't care about next season. He doesn't care about building the. That sounds rude. I'm not trying to throw Todd under the bus and like be like, he doesn't care about JMU. No, 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 no. It's just that he has his own personal desires and wants, and if he misses another game where he thinks he could go, he might not be that happy. I don't want to read too much into body language, but I'm going to read into it just a little bit. He did seem a little upset on the sidelines in street clothes that he wasn't playing. Maybe he thought he could go. Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, we'll, we'll hopefully he can go the rest of the way. That'd be, that'd be a yeah. big deal because it was – it was an offensive slog without him, right? They lose 26 to 12. Marshall's defense is awesome. Very much worth yep. noting that. But it was it was a very challenging offensive performance. They went 0 of 17 on third down and 0, and 0 for 2 on fourth down. So 0 for 19 on third and fourth I've down. I've never which seen is that. Unbelievable. <laughs> I've never seen that. I've never seen a, conver- a no conversions. I don't I've never seen that. No, that would mean that's just insane. So it was it was a really tough performance. And if you're Billy Atkins, it's one of the worst possible spots to like get your first start. Like ESPN has Marshall, it's like the fourth most efficient defense in the country. They're super yeah. good. So not an ideal spot for him to to get his first career start because he really has not played any meaningful snaps prior to this. Not only are you also facing one of the top defenses in the nation, you also are missing, I think it was three offensive linemen at one point. 
like yeah, starting the offensive, offensive line, line is battered, yeah. So like there's a lot of question marks throughout it. But what sticks out to me the most is the coaching staff, granted they only had let's say 24 hours to prepare. Let's keep that in the back of our minds. But you know you're starting Billy Atkins on let's say Friday. You don't do anything to the game plan from Friday to Saturday to change it. He dropped back. He passed it 35 times. He had another seven sacks. So 42 pass attempts were called. He had a couple rushes in there too. Not sure how many of those were called runs or if they were called passes. So let's just for the benefit of the doubt call it 42 pass attempts. This isn't shade at Atkins. This is shade at the the coaching staff. Your running backs were averaging 4.4 yards per rush. Percy was averaging nearly 5 yards per rush. Why did you drop back 42 times in a game that was one possession against one of the better secondaries in the nation? I didn't like it. I mean, they're also obviously like an elite run defense. Like their whole defense is good, but they had gotten some stuff going with Percy. The they other had thing a couple that, big runs with Percy, and like sorry. he had a couple too. There was one that was like a nine-yard run that if he like ends up breaking one more tackle, it's like a sixty-yard run. Like they were close to popping stuff, and that's kind of what Marshall did, where they gave Laybourne thirty carries and he popped one of them. So he averaged five yards a carry because one of them, you know, went 60, 60 yards for yeah. a touchdown. Like they just kept feeding him. Their quarterback was 15 of 31 for 160, a touchdown and two picks. Like he didn't do anything. Like he didn't play well. Like he was, he was fine, but he didn't do anything like overly impressive. But what they did is they like really stuck to the run game. So they had 44 rushes. Obviously, if you're leading in the fourth quarter, it's a little easier to do that. But 44 rushes to 31 passes where JMU had a much more even split. And it's, it's not really as even because it was 37 rush, 35 pass, but that includes, you know, the seven sacks. So it was really more pass. And I understand that they were trailing and, and some of those you have to call pass plays. But at you the don't, same though. Time, You're down one possession. Well, like toward the end, they were down two. And I think they had oh, okay. and like things like that. But yeah, well, when you're down 19 to 12, you can still run the ball. And it was just it was I don't know. I, I didn't love the game plan at all like i thought it was was not great they started off fine he hit a couple nice passes actually and and some some chunk plays and then he had a horton was uncovered for like a 17 yard touchdown pass like i thought atkins was kind of maybe more in control than i actually thought he would be in the in the first quarter and then they it seemed like they kept trying to throw it and and it didn't work out and um i mean i think you can blame all of it on the fake injury and and the momentum but we'll get to that later but like the the drive chart's pretty alarming to be honest with you. Like not surprisingly. But they went, I think it was, let me double check. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It's like sixteen consecutive possessions without scoring. Yeah. It wasn't That's good. Horrible. And also, you brought up Billy Atkins in the first quarter. He was pretty good in the first quarter. Granted, he was only five yeah. for eleven, which isn't the best completion percentage you want. But I, I was going to chalk that up to, you know, maybe he was a little yippy in the pocket. Maybe he was a little, we'll talk about pocket, but he was a little, um, little hyped to be in there. A couple of his passes yeah. kind of skied on the receiver, but ended up with a touchdown, 121 yards, bailed out a few times from some jump balls that maybe shouldn't have been thrown into triple coverage. And uh, Chris Thornton fought back and got the catch. But overall, you know, 5'11, 121 yards and a touchdown. 
you're you're sitting back and you're like, he's on pace for over 400 yards. Like, wow, <laughs> this, is a, this is I love the on base stat. <laughs> but and then from there, he played three more quarters. He passed for 43 yards on eight of 24 passing with four interceptions and a fumble. That's not all Marshall game planning and, and fixing what happened in the first quarter. I don't, I don't think it's offensive. And if, some, if people disagree with me, that's fine. I don't think it's offensive to say that he didn't play well. I like, I think it's the people who tag him on Twitter and are like, you suck. Yeah. Very weird behavior. Like no need <laughs> for that. But I also don't think it's offensive to discuss the game and say that Billy Atkins had a poor performance. I think he would, probably be the first to admit that 13 for 35 for 164 yards with a touchdown four interceptions and seven sacks is not a good game like I don't I don't think he's unaware of that I don't think the coaches are unaware of that so I mean he just he didn't play that well yeah and Um, I think sorry to interrupt keep going no I was just gonna say like I think he can play a lot better especially with better defenses and like as he gets more comfortable and things like that but at the same time there were there were definitely things that that didn't go well that I think are are cause for concern 100% and yes I think being critical of the quarterback play isn't bad I think as a college football player especially when you're a quarterback you kind of know this comes with the territory yes you shouldn't at him you shouldn't give him threats of any kind I didn't see any threats but just like on the whole with with athletes you shouldn't be adding them, not like verbally attacking them and calling them a trash human, things of that sort. But I think it is 100% fair to say, and I agree wholeheartedly with you, that he, while he wasn't the only reason they lost, he contributed to that loss with a pretty heavy hand. Um, and he he didn't play well. like, and, and that's not bad to say. And as I was saying, like when you're a quarterback of college football – you're not exempt from criticism because you're a college student. And that might sound harsh, but to me, I just feel like you're on full scholarship. You chose to play quarterback and you know, when win or lose, that's going to fall on you. If he went out there and threw for 400 yards and five touchdowns, we'd be hyping him up 100% and rightfully so. But now he's on the flip side of it. And you have to know that comes with a little bit of pushback. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't think anyone should be mean to him. I'm not like, but I just think it's okay to like discuss how players play because it's. I don't. I don't mean that personally, right? It's just like discussing what happened in the game. So I, I don't think that's offensive. I think some people did that in a way that was fine. Like I know I floated. I think other people floated. Like might be time to bring in Barnett. Like it'd be like maybe they'll bring him in just because. I mean, they went 16 possessions without scoring. It's not like a shot at Atkins. It was just like. Clearly, in that moment, in that day, he was having a really tough time. Uh, Barnett apparently has taken like mostly scout team reps, which makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, so Signetti said that he didn't feel comfortable putting him in because he thought it wouldn't be fair, which is totally fine. But I also, I also think some of it definitely falls on the coaching, 100%. right? Hundred percent. I think one of the the major concerns for for Atkins is he he seemed. Um, I think he wanted to go through his progressions, right? Because guys weren't getting a ton of separation but he was kind of waiting on those and, and not necessarily feeling the rush. So there were not times where he was, he was looking downfield and was still taking sacks. So I think people were thinking, okay, like faster passes, like let's throw a screen pass, like do some stuff to, to change it up. I know at one point they ran some read options and actually and it was started working. to drive. It was working. 
and they just continued only running read options. <laughs> and then they it stopped working. It was like Marshall's defense is far too smart to just run like seven read options in a row. They so also like weren't imaginative points. at all. Like it was just basic no. read options that you get in Madden. Yes, it's like show me some stuff. Do you have like a wildcat package? Like I don't know. Like and, and that's maybe not helpful, but it's like <laughs> do some things that are different. Give him some throws that are comfortable and quick instead of some some stuff that took what felt like forever. Or maybe maybe this is a little too advanced for a quarterback that was on twenty four hours notice that he was getting the p- potential start because, like we said, Todd did try and go before the game, so it was probably yeah. a ninety ten ninety to ninety to ten that Billy thought he was going to start 90. Yes. 10% no. So it wasn't fully sold. So maybe you can't necessarily go out and throw the RPO stuff where that has been a huge key to this offensive success all year. But people on Twitter were bringing up throughout the game of just like, where are the bubble screens? Where are the quick hitters? Where are the slants? Things that were working for the entirety of the season up until last week against Georgia Southern, where it seems like this playbook has regressed back to the days of Donnie Kirkpatrick's secret playbook. It was, I don't know, it just, it was frustrating because they didn't seem to give him anything, like, easy. And it was, like, clearly not working, and it felt like they weren't really adjusting in a way that that would have been kind of nice. So, I mean, I don't think he played well, but I don't know that he was necessarily, throughout the game, put in the best spot to play well. Uh, there were a couple times where his lack of pocket awareness really, really hurt him and hurt the drives. And I think that's one that that too you obviously want to like coach him up on in the off week especially if he has a chance to play again um for the team's success but more so like he could legitimately get hurt like if he's out there and and not aware and like taking a hit that's that's going to be tough but it's also i mean he really hasn't played a meaningful snap since high school i know he's been there a little bit and gotten some reps and it's just like to go from high school to to that marshall defense would suck so i mean that that was tough and he played well early, and he's, he's done some nice things before. Um, but it was hard. The other thing that I do want to say is that I know fans were kind of critical of their performance and maybe surprised by their performance, and, and maybe in hindsight they shouldn't have been. I will say, in the defense of the fans, they've kind of been spoon-fed the the storyline that Atkins and Barnett are like studs, which they, they might be. Eh. But like all off season. We heard about how it was a quarterback battle, which was, I think, Signetti essentially lying so that he could have like a competitive advantage of not a, saying who his quarterback was, even though if Middle Tennessee, if he didn't know it was Todd Teo, <laughs> what are you doing? But like, I don't know. I, I think that's that's probably why he he did that. But we were told that it was kind of tight all off season. Yeah, and there was a three man like, race up until like two weeks before the season started. I swear. Yeah, like there, I mean, there are people saying that it was really competitive, and, and Atkins like won the backup job last year. I think like during the season, he like overtook whoever was. I forget exactly how it worked, but I think Who he was he the like backup last year. I think he worked himself into well, it was him, but I can't remember who. Maybe Patrick Bentley was above him, and then he worked his way over him, or something like that. It was something like that where he worked his way sure uh, okay to be the backup. But anyway, that like we've been told that he's really good, and that Barnett's a stud. And like if you hear that all off season, and then they come in, and you you essentially need like a base level performance with limited turnovers and a few third down conversions, you could probably grind out a win over Marshall. It's it's going to be frustrating for the fans when like nothing works, and there's going to be some shock for the fans when it's like, wait a second, like you told me two weeks ago this guy was like really good. It's also insane to me and I don't mean to be beating a dead horse when I say this, that they dropped back 42 times. You have a 
for all intents and purposes, a freshman quarterback in there seeing his first ever game action. And you're saying you're going to drop back 47 times against one of the best defenses in the nation. When you have one of the best rushing attacks in the Sun Belt, and in this game, they're averaging 4.4 yards per rush. Percy's averaging 4.8 yards per rush. They're not really getting into the back of the into the backfield all that often for negative plays. So most of your rushes are positive. Like, I just don't get that part of it. Like, why? What changed? This is a team that scored 40 plus points in four of the first five games this season. It scored 38 points against Georgia Southern in a loss. Granted, there were some issues last week with Georgia Southern, but what's happened with this offense? And maybe it's one week, maybe it's recency bias, maybe it's kind of both last week and this week put together, but it just seems like this offense hit neutral and tried to coast for a little bit, and it's not, like, this isn't the FCS. This, The coaching staff can't be putting it in neutral. It was it was weird, and then the other. So I kind of I know some people compared it to like Vad getting hurt and Shore coming in, but it felt a little bit to me more like when Shore got hurt in the championship season against Villanova, he like broke his collarbone, and Cole Johnson came in. So yeah. I pulled up the stats because Villanova had one of the best defenses in the conference that year. Cole Johnson comes in, they end up winning the game twenty to seven. Johnson was five for twelve for forty three yards and two picks. Like he was he was not good. But that's also how you should handle a quarterback who hasn't gotten a lot of action. Khalid Abdullah had 33 carries. Yeah, that's ex- 100% how you should handle this. I don't see, there's no reason why Percy only had 20. Also, what happened to Kalon Black? I was told he was back. He must be he must still be on a pitch count, man, cuz when he had what three catches for 20 yards and looked extremely <laughs> explosive, if he wasn't yeah. on a pitch count, that was like egregious game management because he was clearly, but also like, why aren't we? Why don't we know this? Yeah, there's a there's a lack of like general injury news that's released that's like phenomenally frustrating from a fan standpoint. So that's that's another thing. But I, I'll also say for the Billy Atkins camp, like Cole Johnson struggled a lot like throughout the the parts of his career, and then went off and had one of the best seasons like in program history. I'm not saying Billy Atkins is going to do that, but I know there are also some pe- people who are like. Yeah, Billy Atkins is not it. And it's like, well, let's see a little more before. Like, I still think they're bringing in a transfer in the offseason, and maybe it doesn't work out. But I I think it's way premature to say, like, he's not going to be good when his first career start came against the best defense in the conference. That's all right. That's fair. I'm not saying that it was, like, a great performance because it wasn't, but I think that it's some people are, are prematurely being, like, the other thing, too, is, like, I don't know that Barnett coming in with even less experience would actually be better. People love, like, the idea of backup quarterbacks. I think, like, if Centeno can't go, I think Jamie just needs to really run the ball and give their quarterbacks some easy passes to help them, you know, work their way through the season. I'll also say this. While Billy Atkins' first real start, first real game action since high school was terrible, I don't think it's all on him. I think no. the I think the coaching staff severely failed him by not giving him – easy passes, rhythm passes, and by not letting the rushing attack rush for 40-plus attempts. Like, I I just think – I think this is more on coaching than it is on Billy. Billy didn't play well. He has a lack of pocket awareness. He has a lot of things he's going to have to work on. I don't know him as a kid, as a person. I imagine he probably would be the first to tell you that there's a lot of stuff, though, that he needs to work on, just knowing quarterbacks. There's a lot of stuff he has to work on. But it's the coaching staff, I think, that needs to work on some things even bigger 
to try and help him if Todd Santeo can't go. If not, that offense works well. That offense probably wins the Marshall game. The Todd Santeo offense? If it, the they? offense they just ran against Marshall, if you put Todd Santeo in, they win by probably two scores. Yeah, I think they would have won with Santeo, which is another reason kind of why it's, it's, I guess, why I don't get on the fans too much for being surprised at the struggles, right? Because we heard. I heard that Billy Atkins it. almost beat him out. Right, that's, that's Up until the week before kickoff, I was told it was a competition. And I also, I do, I don't know, like part of me is almost interested to see Atkins play again because I feel like they could give him a significantly better game plan. Like it was frustrating when it was like, okay, he hasn't played in three years. Like I think the pocket awareness against a way better pass rush is pretty rusty. <laughs> like you got to give the guy quick passes. Like, I don't know. It just felt like they had passes where it was like, he's going to his third read and you're going to get him murdered because the offensive line is like, really banged up especially by the end of the game yeah well moving on from the offensive side of the ball i do want to just have a quick shout out to the defense if you want to talk about them a little bit more yeah the final score was 26 points but for a majority of that game they were holding marshall down big time 19 points um two of those points came by way of blocked special teams blocked extra point which we'll talk about in signetti excuses but (laughs) Um, this defense is good. They, they came back after Georgia Southern and uh, I got to commend them for that. I was really harsh on this secondary Marshall's offense. Isn't one that's going to, you know, be prolific in the passing game, but outside of a 60 yard rush, they held their own and they continued to do what they do, which is stop up the rushing holes. And they gave the offense the opportunities it needed time and time again. And the offense just couldn't come through. That's not on the defense. The defense did everything in their power to win that game, and I just got to shout them out and say they did fantastic. I think if Santeo played, it was kind of the game script we expected, right? It was like a grinded-out game where JMU still wins by like two scores because they have more explosive playmakers. They just didn't happen to have one of the best, most experienced players in the Sun Belt. So, I mean, that's that's obviously <laughs> very tough. Like, I think it's – what is Santeo? He's probably like 24, like, and Atkins is maybe 20. Like, there's – that's a – pretty huge difference in terms of like years playing college football and like body development and all this stuff. So it was a a tough spot for JMU, but yeah, the defense kept them in the game and they probably could have won. And honestly, man, they also got like legend in the special teams department again. They should have given up a punt return for a touchdown and Tate Beaver had like a really nice tackle to save it, but they like field position, they were getting crushed. And some of that is they couldn't, you know, they had, it was like 11 three and outs or something. But I don't know. Field position was tough, and it, it's obviously complimentary. But the defense was against – sort of had its back against the wall, it felt like, the entire game. Bro, what are these special teams? What's going on with the special teams? Special teams are not looking great. Moment of silence for the special teams. Oh, here's a question. Do you know way how many combined way first downs? Way, way to interrupt my moment of silence. <laughs> Do you know how many combined first downs there were? Five. <laughs> Five. Both teams. Six. 22. That's 12 so to 10. Low. I've never seen that. Was it, weren't, so there, weren't there combined 27 punts? I think it was 24 or something. Yeah, 24. They, each team had 12 punts. Insanity. Oh, man. That's oh, so okay. bad. But, yeah, defense is good. Shout out them. They were put into a position, really a position to fail, and they didn't fail. They came up big time and time again. I'm excited for the future of this defense. 
Mm-hmm. Man, can they recruit defensive players? Now, I got, got some guys. This this part of the the podcast. Oh <laughs> yes, we 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 talked about it. And the reason I say, man, can they recruit defensive players? Apparently, Signetti hasn't been recruit, recruiting offensive depth. And I'm not throwing shade at the offensive depth at all. These are words coming from the Kurt Signetti, the head man. He doesn't think this team has the depth to compete at the FBS level. But just three weeks ago, when the Dukes were 5-0, and nay, 4-0, and going into that game to become 5-0 and on national television, depth wasn't a problem. Depth was a strength of this team. This team was rolling through FBS competition, and it was no problem. They, they were prepared for this. It was no issue. Oh, but now that they've dropped two in a row and injuries are starting to come, now depth is an issue. Now this is an excuse we can fall back on. I'm not trying to be rude. Ah, I kind of am trying to be rude here. But come on, Kurt. Let's chill with these excuses. I remember reading in the offseason something about how the COVID year let JMU have extra scholarships that was supposed to help bridge the gap of like depth issues. Not saying that it totally bridged it, but there were like articles in the offseason saying that they were more prepared well, than they, they might well, have been. Well, they are because of it. Well, instead of I think instead of having like a 24 scholarship different or whatever the difference was, it was like a five scholarship. Like the, the, it's insane what COVID did to help them with this transition, which was a big reason I thought they were so successful to start because they didn't have that gap anymore. But apparently that's an issue now that wasn't an issue three weeks ago. I think my big gripe with that comment is where he he went on and he was like, you know, Marshall has quality depth. This game was extremely winnable. Like I don't I don't care. I don't know what he saw from Marshall. They went Jamie went O for nineteen on third and fourth downs. Can I say a hot take real quick? Yes. If they go one of nineteen, they probably win this game. (laughs) I mean, if they get a a few and they do any like they this was an extremely winnable game that they led 12 to two. I don't want to hear about the depth thing because they were in this game and it was like, yeah, we wore down from the depth. It was like maybe right. Cause some of the offensive linemen were going down. Sure. But you're telling me you've got nothing in the bag scheme wise. You got nothing to, to get a drive or two going like, and, and find a way to just eke out the win. It, I hated it. I hated the, and also like, maybe that's true. Maybe in your heart, you believe that your depth isn't good enough, but can you just one time, Go to the presser and be like, you know what? I didn't prepare our backup quarterback the way that we should have. And we lost. And we didn't get anything going offensively. And my 40-year coaching background is an offense. And that's on me. Like, even if you don't believe it, man, just say it so the fans are pleased one time. Like, it's so weird when his Sunbelt opening statement is three and a half minutes listing excuses of things. Also, I think it's weird to have the offensive line as an excuse. And correct me if I'm wrong here, because I could very well be wrong on this. To have your offensive line be a major excuse that you're using about why the passing attack is lacking and why certain th- why the scheme has changed, but you're still averaging nearly five yards a carry. Like that, the offensive line is a big part that you're averaging five yards per carry, right? For sure. Like they were holding their own. Some of it, Percy was had some like monster runs where he was like battling through guys, but like they did a, I thought they were holding up. It was also like, I don't know, like we, the week before we saw Georgia Southern, like do a lot of very quick passes and completely neutralize Jamie's pass rush. 
like you tell me they don't have anything that's like quick passes that could could sort of mask the offensive line. I don't know. It just felt like I don't know. They just feel like excuses sometimes where it's it's kind of convenient where when things aren't going well, it's like, well, you know, we don't have the depth. When a few weeks ago it, it sort of felt like, you know, we're rolling and right. I don't know. If you go on the Jim Rome show, say you want to play in a college football playoff, and then you lose two in a row and you look like a team that, you know, isn't gonna finish you know, to the near the top of the Sun Belt, like maybe just cooling on those comments then. Maybe it's the Jim Rome show curse. It could Huff be. Huff went on it after Notre Dame, after the Notre Dame win for Marshall and now all of a sudden they've lost three <laughs> games. I'm I'm just saying. But it, another excuse that I think we have to come to the defense of the MRDs here for <laughs> was probably one of the most heinous excuses I've ever heard in my entire life. Apparently the reason that Camden Wise didn't get enough underneath that extra point and it was blocked was because the MRDs were playing, which is two parts of that blatantly wrong. (laughs) Well, actually there's three parts of it blatantly wrong to just wait. If they're playing, it's not like there was (laughs) one second, like 17 seconds on the play clock. Exactly. And then thirdly, if you can't kick a ball, when it's loud, you have bigger issues than the band playing. Well, they didn't. They didn't like block on the right side. They like barely blocked, and he was saying, "Oh, that's the noise. right," because they couldn't hear the the snap, the snap count. It's just a. It's a very strange thing to be to be like you know. The, well, it's the same thing too, where it's like fans were too loud, and then the same people are like, "Where are the fans? Fans are too quiet. They're not making the home field advantage." What do you want? You want like some perfect middle ground where they're like kind of loud sometimes, and like I. Oh my, it's just infuriating. And it was, it was super weird. And then it became a weird thing that did not need to be. Where it he blew was then up quickly cla- on Twitter. He was, he was then clarifying with like multiple heart emojis that he loves the band. And it was like, you could have just said that they didn't block on the right side or that like they made a mistake and that's something we got to cleaned up in coaching. I don't know. Or, or just like, if you want to blame someone, Blame the fans, like the fans. Well, even that's ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous. But like, why are you singling out the only student group that comes to every single game and stays for the entirety of the game? And like, their job is to is the pep band on set. Like, as a former MRD, I was only in it for one year, so my allegiance isn't that strong. But man, did that did that comment offend me? How are you going to go out there and call out the only people that are there for you through every single game, through the thick and the thin of it all? And then even if he does throw the fans under the bus, you're expecting them now to come to the games? Like, Signetti has said nothing really positive of the fans his entire coaching tenure. <laughs> and then his first thing about the fans is, they're too loud, man. Well, the original tweet from Shane said it was the fans, and then he had a follow-up that Signetti was clarifying that it was the band. That's which right. Is so wrong. <laughs> like it's like no, 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 no. It was the band, and then the band was like, "No, it wasn't." He was like, "Well, good to know." <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Just don't say anything. It's so un. I don't know. It just seems so unnecessary. And then he also do, do we go to the the fake injury comment? Yeah, I'll take off this lower third. We'll go to back to excuses. No more yeah, in defense. So, MRDs, I just want to shout out the MRDs. Thank the you MRDs. for all you do. You guys are fun. I remember the New Hampshire playoff game in 2018, like, something like that. It was Thanksgiving week. There's 12,000 fans in the stands, and the marching band was so loud, not by playing, but by cheering, 
that the refs had to stop the game and tell them to be quiet. And I've never, I've honestly never heard Bridgeforth louder than 12,000 fans defending the MRDs. And I kind of hope that that's what the fans do next home game when JMU has the ball. It was just very weird. But no, so he's, he's going on this thing talking about why they lost to Marshall, which is essentially just a list of excuses. I don't know if he had a notepad or something, but the one is like, this was also circulating on Twitter, and the the player did did fake the injury. Oh, it, it was, was a very clear fantastic. in the moment. Fantastic! It, it was amazing. <laughs> so they've got JMU had a second and sixteen, and they ran for fifteen yards. They have a third and one, like near midfield. They're running up. Marshall has twelve guys in the field, and a defensive lineman <laughs> just collapses. <laughs> and they go over like he's injured and they show the replay. He's standing perfectly fine. Sees this 12th man like sprinting his little butt to the sideline and just <laughs> falls over. It's like clearly faking it. Um, and Signetti mentioned it, which I thought was funny on the on the little sunbelt thing. But then he goes like, you know, that it was what was the score at that point? It was 12 to I two. I think it was 12 2 at that point. And they were driving to potentially go up a third a third score. And he has the audacity to say. <laughs> that kills momentum because, you know, we could have gone, scored a touchdown. Instead, we don't go up three scores. They get the ball back. We give up a 60-yard touchdown. It's a one-score game. How is that all related to the guy falling down? <laughs> that, that's not what happened. Like, you gave up a 60-yard rushing touchdown on third and six. You didn't get the third and one because you got stuffed on the run. And you punted. When I think Also he probably shouldn't have punted. Remember, he considered going for it. He was like, oh, I might go for it. Steady punts it, and then three plays later, they're in the end zone. Also, JMU's only touchdown drive of the game was a 17-yard touchdown drive. Yeah. You're at midfield in a field goal, it would still be two possessions. In what world were you almost going up three possessions? Like, in what world was that offense about to just motor it down, score a touchdown, when they did nothing for the entire game? Like, it's an insane take to be like, you know, we are so close to scoring a touchdown. We're up three scores. It's like, What? Yeah, I mean, this podcast has involved a lot of long pauses after one of us makes a point because we, I think we wholeheartedly agree with everything each other is saying. I will say this. I have to give it to Marshall. I have to hand it to him. That's a fantastic play. I'm not going to get mad about it because if JMU did the same thing, I'd be cheering for it on my couch. I'd be so hyped. So I I can't sit here and be double and too standard on it and be like, how dare they do that? I hope my team has that type of awareness to make that type of play. Saved I mean, him five yards, saved him a, four, a third down conversion. And what do you know? JMU can't convert a third down when it's third and one. And then don't go for it on fourth. Come on. If you're not going to penalize him, right, it's like the savvy thing to do. And I know people are going to get mad and be like, you can't do that. But, like, he can within the rules based on how they're sort of set. Because it's it's hard to be like, you're definitely faking an injury, even though he was, he was definitely faking an injury. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It was just kind of a weird one where – I don't think the logic made sense where it was like we were going to go up three scores instead it was one. It was like, well, you you controlled the ability to like yeah. still pick up the first down and stop the run on third. and Like it, it's not totally fair to say that it was from three scores to one score. It wasn't like you fumbled at the one when you were like celebrating and somebody accidentally dropped the ball and they returned it all the way back or something. It was like a pretty clear – they just made a string of plays that were better than your teams and I don't know. The other excuse that got me riled up, I think, the most out of all of them, outside the MRD one, he said, Marshall's only played one game in the last 20 days. Yeah, that's how bye weeks work in this part of the schedule. Like, I don't get why he's using that as an – like, is he mad at the schedule makers at the Sun Belt? Like, 
what what's that excuse so they played so between like october 1st and october 22nd marshall had played one game and jamu had played two games oh, all right <laughs> it <was so> <laughs> I, gotta, <laughs> I don't know okay like I, if you're gonna lose every time that happens man that sucks <laughs> <laughs> you think louisville's <laughs> gonna say that jamie was coming in off of a bye week their second bye week of the season <laughs> what are we supposed to Satterfield in his, in his press conference? You can't fire me. They had, they had a second bye. You, what do you want me to do, man? In the last two weeks, they only played one game. It, I don't know. It was just like a, a huge strength. Like if, it, it's also fine Like if you think all those things. Just don't say them. You it's also fine them. they lost. Yes, you're five and two. Everyone's pleased with what's going on for the most part. Like things are happy. One of the losses with with your backup quarterback. No one's mad. Just I don't know. Just be like, hey, like you're just kind of upset. Out. We're just kind of upset at the play calling. Just seems like it's a little got a little stagnant over the last two weeks. It seems like a little bit of questionable decision making when it comes to you know having your backup quarterback in and you decide to throw forty two passes and not really give him the opportunities he needs to succeed. Mostly just curious about that. I'm not really mad about losing the game. I mean, it's a bummer they lost on homecoming, but all right. I'm just mad about how they lost and the reaction to it after they lost. I also didn't like the week before when they had the punt blocked against Georgia Southern. And he made a comment that was like, you know, we had an upperclassman who just decided not to block. It was like, like you don't have to say that kind of stuff. I don't also, know. It's just he's thrown that guy under the bus. He threw Billy under the bus in this game. Like JMU fans are like, we shouldn't be mad at him. Let's talk about the coach who like completely threw Billy under the bus in the post-game press conference. Noah Fleshman asked a question kind of like kind of set up Billy in a way. I, I, I don't think that was Noah's intent, but just the way the question was a little yeah. worded definitely put Kurt in a, in a weird spot, Kurt Signetti in a weird spot. And he took the wrong route down it. And he was just like, well, he's been here for two and a half years. We expect more out of him. He's, he's, he's been practicing. I, I don't know what the issue is. Like, and it was just like, oh, maybe don't say that about your potential starter for the next four weeks. It just, I don't know. It felt like there's, there's a lot of excuses. I know Ezra Hack's enjoying this segment, but it, it I'll feels be honest. Like I'll be honest. Ezra Hack, if you're listening, shout out to you. Cause man, your trolling got off a little bit. There were five and one there. Things were looking up for the Dukes. All of a sudden, so much new ammunition for you this week. And honestly, the couple of your tweets, I unfortunately agree with. It, it, there is definitely some times where, and again, this is like a fan thing where it's like, you kind of just like want him to say that some of it was maybe coaching. I don't know. It just, it felt, some of it felt a little weird with like the, the this, Marshall player going down felt like an unnecessary, like, if you think that's a thing, I would send that to the league office and see if they do anything. They wouldn't, but like, that's sort of your route to do something there. I don't think it's, it's a press conference, you know, that was a momentum shift. I'll say this. Last week, the loss didn't feel like it landed solely on the play calling and the coaching. Last week against Georgia Southern, it felt like they have one of the most prolific offenses in the country and we have one of the worst secondaries. Yeah. And they game planned the heck out of us with Clay Helton and they neutralized everything we do well on defense. And that felt like more like they were the better coach. They were the better team that day. And it, it didn't fall squarely on coaching. This game felt like it's the loss fell solely on coaching. Yeah, preparation and coaching. It, it felt like there were some things that could have been better that I think would be interesting even to hear them talk about more in terms of what it looks like trying to scramble to get a game plan. But 
I also want to give a shout out to my guy Chauncey Logan, first career interception. Charles? Heck- <laughs> I knew you're gonna go there. Heck, <laughs> heck of a play. Sorry, from- who's Chauncey? Yeah. I know Charles <laughs> Logan. Heck heck of a play from him. Uh so that was that was Chauncey's cool. good. Chauncey's Chauncey's gonna turn into a star. Chauncey's a solid C B one. Nice little bounce back from the secondary. I know it was like a significantly easier opponent, but to have them like make sure that it looked like that still, I thought was, was yeah. nice. So and there's, I don't know picks. if there's, yeah, there's some things there that I like. There's some things that are pretty exciting, but at the same time, I wish they had won the game. And I, I wish that there was maybe a, a, some different comments after the game. What a segue. I would say, I think if they won the game, we wouldn't be having this third segment of the podcast, the reaction. We've had the field. We've had the excuses. It's now for the the fan reaction, kind of the reaction afterwards. And us saying this stuff on the podcast probably does nothing to accomplish the issue at hand. The issue at hand to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, is an overarching college football issue. The question is, how do you get students to stay at football games for four hours on a Saturday? And then when it's at JMU, a Saturday that was beautiful, and I guarantee you there was 15 darties going on, all with <laughs> kegs flowing with not our lines to wait for them. It seemed like a particularly bad um, game day experience day. Like people Probably took forever to 26,000 people in the stadium. But that wasn't a surprise. <laughs> Like you knew it was so, I don't know. You got to find a way. I have a hard time if like the experience kind of blows and I, I don't know. I don't know. This is a very hard topic for me to get into without without, Without getting upset. I think really mad. (laughs) Um, But I mean, like fans have left at halftime for a while. They left at halftime in this game, a little surprised by it, but there are some things that immediately come to mind. For example, I watched the game on TV and holy crap, the first half was slow and boring. Like the first it just quarter sucked. took an hour. The first quarter took an hour. Yeah. It was really slow. So then they leave the game. And then well, and then people got so mad after, man. People got so mad on the internet about the fans leaving. And it's people just were blaming the fans for the loss. I've just I've yet to see a convincing reason like why a JMU student needs to stay for four quarters. That isn't well, because it's football. Like there's been, yeah. Convincing is yeah, you're right. You covered the base. Sorry. No, it's just, I don't know. It's confusing. Cause then well, <laughs> I don't want to dox anybody, but like you, <laughs> you've already done that once this week. <laughs> yes. That's so true. That's something that I've done this week, but it was, it was just, <laughs> I'll pull this up. I tweeted and I said, asking this genuinely, can someone provide a convincing reason why the average JMU student who isn't a diehard fan should stay three to four quarters? Uh, Like one of the main responses is like, do you buy a ticket and leave a movie or concert before it's over? It's like, well, the tickets are technically. Well, Ezra also had a really good point to that. Shout out Ezra. Probably (laughs) one of the only agree of one of the things I agree with. He goes, well, if it's a lousy concert, I would. And it was a lousy game. People kept bringing up the fact – I don't know if you're still pulling up stuff, so I'll keep talking. Keep but people talking. kept bringing up the fact that it was a one-possession game and why should fans leave when it's a one-possession game. I think that kind of completely forgets what was happening in the game itself. That's a really like changing the narrative what the game was. The second Marshall went up, there was no hope JMU was winning that game. There was 
40 minutes. There was 30 minutes left in that game. Marshall was up, and I had no hope we were going to win. It wasn't like, I don't know. It's just, it's like, I feel like it should be a case-by-case basis on, like, why fans leave because there are different things every time. Yes, because did fans leave a we- the Weber State immaculate kick? No, and I don't know. I don't know that they obviously didn't hit twenty six thousand, but like, game was cool. The people that were there wanted to be there. Yes. Um, and like, I think I would be cool if if people stay the entire game. Like, I obviously would like that. I think that'd be cool. But people are like, you know, um, why we got to wonder why App State has diehard fans. It's like, well, they've had their program longer. Is part of it. Like I, I think that's the other part. Agenda. We don't have the football culture. And we were texting about this during the game. JMU doesn't have that culture. JMU started their program relatively, relatively recently compared to other programs. Heck, we were on Flow Sports one year ago. Like, the reason people are such diehard Virginia Tech fans and even UVA fans is because they were born into that family. There were kids who went to JMU when I was there, when you were there. You brought this up last night that were Tech fans and UVA fans that would drive four hours to Blacksburg to watch a Virginia Tech game on a Saturday rather than go to Bridgeforth, five minutes of a walk away from them, and watch that game. Like, the issue is that JMU's young, and I understand that, well, we want to expedite that process. Totally fine. I get that. I'm right there with you. I would love to see 26,000 kids, 26,000 alumni, students, fans, everything in that stadium from kickoff to the end of the game. That would be awesome to see, but I don't think that's going to come from demonizing students, blaming them for the loss. We all want the same thing, which is to watch a football game, to have it packed the whole time. And while I'm doing it, maintain my buzz. (laughs) It's also, it bothers me when people are like, you know, it can't be for lack of on-field success. Like, you have an incredibly inflated view of what Jamie football is. If you think that. Yes, we're not, we, we we're new to success. First 10 win season was in 1994. Then the next one was in 2004, then 2008. Then they didn't have another until 2016. And like the last five years, they've been awesome. They've also built the fan base up a lot. The last five years, like you have to be patient. People are like expecting overnight, that the students are going to care. Like you have to consistently do things that matter. And the other thing that people were, were saying was like, you can't just build the tradition like year after year. It hasn't been built. It's like, well, it's way different now that they're in the FBS and they can actually realistically get UVA to come to Bridgeport. Like that's not an unrealistic thing. UVA is going to coastal like next year or in 2024. Like those are things that could happen and that helps build the culture. Like they're at a level where they're now going to be talked about on ESPN when they play well and they get in the AP poll, like they're going to build more culture now that they're actually at the higher level of college football. The idea that like FCS actually matters is overinflated by Jamie fans. It's cool. I loved it, but it's very niche. Like most people do not give a crap about FCS football. So it's hard to build a culture at a level that like, I don't know, isn't cared about that much. And they also always led the FCS. They were like always toward the top in attendance in recent years. So it's like, They've had a pretty good culture for where they were. It's going to take some time to build it more than that. And also, like, why do you care what a 17-year-old, or not 17, what do you do with an 18 to 22-year-old? Why do you really care where they spend their afternoon? Like, just get over it and enjoy the game. It just seems like it kind of boils down to people want the atmosphere to be lit for themselves. 
which is a totally reasonable thing to want. Like when I, when we go to the Georgia State game, I would love to be screaming my head off for four hours during four quarters. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that probably isn't going to happen. But mm-hmm. I would love that. But I'm not going to go out there and be like the fans need to stay because the football t- and like and and like try and veil their argument and saying like well they they work hard we, we need to show them respect and 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 watch them play because they bust their butts for the school no one does that for and this is the point you brought up on twitter it was just like my doctor yeah exactly but no one does that for women's soccer no one does that for field hockey no one does that really for and when I say no one, I mean like a, a passionate student fan. Like the volleyball isn't setting attendance records once a season. Like people aren't going in droves to the Forbes Center to watch the latest theater production. And they all are working the same as much as if not harder than the football team for the school. Why is like if you're going to say for for, you know, to support the athletes, why why don't you clamor for everyone to go to baseball games, which are like almost entirely empty? Right. Like that's not the actual argument that anyone's making. The real reason they like it is because they go to football games. They like it when the football game atmosphere is cool. But nobody wants to say that because no, no, it's school spirit. It's for school spirit. It's this is the reason I want this is for school spirit. It's like, well, what about all the other events that would also be school spirit? I don't know. It's just weird. I think it's kind of a ridiculous argument and a waste of many people's time. But, um, you know, that's how we do it. The other thing I was just going to say that, um, I don't love the blaming of the students because this is the current culture that JMU has. And if you want to point fingers to anyone, what is the athletic department? What is the game day staff doing to make people want to stay? Like they had a huge one hour line. You barely can get a beer. The beers are on the opposite side of the student section. So it's like a long (laughs) trek to even get over there. And then you wait in line forever. Yeah. So like fix that. And it's also, like I said, like there's 15 parties going on during it. Like work with Greek life, work with student organizations, athletic department to, you know, figure out how to come together and create a game day atmosphere that students want to be at, that Greek life wants to be at. Because if there's not 15 parties going on and Bridgeforth is the party on Saturday, then you're not going to have all these students leave. But it's also worth noting that JMU isn't a football culture. It's a party culture which is both are okay. I want to make that known at the at the start of this point. But Jamie is a party culture. You have to get it and people were like, "Well, why do you why did these why did they claim a ticket if they weren't going to stay for the entire game?" Well, you need a ticket to get into the tailgating, like the student tailgating section. At least you did my senior year. I don't know if they've revised that rule, but my senior year you needed a valid game day ticket to get into the tailgating. And that's where people care about this. I mean, before you had that rule at Upper Convo, you had thousands of kids there and only 50% were going to the game. The point of a Saturday is to go out and day drink. And I think someone on Twitter said, people really overestimate their day drinking skills. And it's not wrong. You you have a two-hour tailgate and then a four-hour game. I'm not making it through that. I understand my limits. But when you're 18, 19, you don't understand that. And then not only that, you then can't buy beer when you get in because you're not legal. Right. It's just, I don't know, like they want to have an enjoyable experience. And the culture is that like you go with your friends until halftime. Then maybe if the game's crazy and like we're staying for you to stay, otherwise you leave. So people are always like, you know, why would you get a ticket if you can't suck it up and stay four quarters? Like 
that's a weird logic to have. Like, wouldn't you want to pitch reasons why it's fun for the student to stay instead of being like, what are you a, what are you a coward who can't stay four quarters? You stupid millennial with your dumb attention span. Like, Oh, now I want to stay. Thanks old man. I don't know. It's just, it's all very negative. And I wish JMU had like maybe even a more advanced like reward system. Cause I know some other schools have that. And some I people have been what... saying that if like you check yeah. out and it's at the end of the game and the more you do it, you get higher up on priority and, and all that. And I think that's a fantastic idea. I think there's so many ways that you can adjust the game day experience to make it better. First and foremost, make Wi-Fi available in the stadium. Be and then, yeah, reward the four quarters. Make the game day, the line to get in not an hour, the line to get beer not an hour, the line for a bathroom not 10, 15 minutes. Like, it's just better to watch the game. And, I, and like I said, I don't think this is a JMU problem. This is a college football, if not a football as a whole issue that the NFL is dealing with too, is that attendance numbers are down because it's better to watch a game on TV. Cause during those extended periods of no action happening on the field, you're watching 15 different replays of the angle of what just happened. And at home, that's so much better than in stadium. It, it, to me, it's just like, there needs to be accountability from JMU to fix it from the athletic department, from marketing, from all of those places to fix this but at the end of the day what i'm afraid of is that they see they sold it out they see that they're able to post that twenty six thousand people came graphic and that's it for them they're getting the people through the door what, what's it matter if they stay right and it's also i wish there was a little more like appreciation for that the fact they did set like the attendance record like <laughs> there's still obviously an interest there and it was pretty cool in the first half with all those people there and obviously you want them to stay but I think it's like baby steps, right? The attendance records are pretty darn good. Start to get there. I know some of the football players were frustrated because they notice when people leave. I get that. Um, but I, I don't think you should yell at the students. I think the athletic department essentially needs to do something to make them stay. Also, maybe a hot take. Two hot takes back to back. I'm going to hit you with them. I think if this was the Georgia Southern game, fans aren't leaving. Mm-hmm. Because I think, like you said, it's a case-by-case basis. I think each game matters. Weber State, they didn't leave most of the playoff games. They did not leave when we were down in the FCS. Like, when it's a good game, fans don't leave. it. Fans aren't used to, for cultural reasons, good regular season games. And also, I get Harry O'Kelly and Kelvin Azanama, two former JMU players. I asked them, does it really matter that fans leave at halftime? And both of them brought up some from some solid points. Harry O'Kelly gave a really good answer of just like when you're walking out of the locker room at after halftime and you see the student section empty, it's disheartening because you look there and you see it. That makes total sense. I, I will put a little bit of the onus then back on the football team. You kind of have to do something to get people involved. Make up, Make the students feel like they're part of the team. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Like I remember Matt Brady would always make like visits to, to dorms or classes or whatever. Yeah. Not that he's like the, the, you know, star of getting students in stands or anything. But, like there was just, well, he, he did live in Charlottesville. So he really <laughs> rile up the Harrisonburg community. <laughs> and then like, I think even Roe would try to do that. I don't know. It's like, it just, there's gotta be something from the coaches and the players to like, you know, say that you care if right? they and, want that if they want it yeah 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 i think that's that's important too so and it's the other thing too is i think it's fun when we float ideas and other fans float ideas at the same time like i'm sure there's research and best practices that like the athletic department knows or can get and like i feel like it, it kind of falls on them a lot to like hey let's let's try some things and see if they work whether it's I mean, they're doing like a documentary in the football team like the video staff suite i'm sure they could 
put some videos together of like encouraging people to stay and, and things like that. I don't know. Just like show some creativity, <laughs> show some stuff that, that makes people want to stay. I couldn't have said it better myself, Bennett. Yeah, well, that's how it goes sometimes. Anything else you want to add? No, I probably got to get back to docking people soon. So we did have a few quick questions. As I'm going to pull. Oh yeah, the sun, the sun pick them. I don't think they were necessarily all that in depth. We have one from Patrick John McGrath at like Feel one. the McGrath. Do you guys find the general hysteria over losing two games and students leaving early to be hilarious, like I do? I'm still a huge fan and sad about the losses, but isn't this all just so funny? They're literally college kids playing a game. I, I, do find <laughs> the, I, I do kind of find the hysteria a little bit. I mean, we were part of the hysteria for what it's worth. Like we, were, like, we weren't excluded from this. We definitely were part of this fueling the fire. Oh, yeah. Both of us heavily. Um, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, what fires me up the most about this is we all want the same thing, right? It's just we're like, why are you going about it that way? And they're and, and then they're over t- talking back at us. Why are you going about it that way? I think at the end of the day, we can all agree the MRDs are the best part of any Saturday. And Kurt Signetti better lay off the marching <laughs> Royal Dukes. All right, I got that out of my system. I'm glad you did. I was worried you wouldn't for a second. Um, Paul Cottrell, the two parter. So you, this one be a little bit long of a read. So podcast listeners, podcast listeners. And then listeners to the live stream right now, buckle up. Maybe you could talk about how important it is for our fans who are legitimately disappointed to act like adults and channel our frustrations in a positive way through loud and consistent support for our student athletes. Ezra Hack, all Ezra, comes from the top rope. Yes. (laughs) Watching many alum who feed inside JMU football Twitter ridicule Georgia Southern fans after loss in Statesboro was expected. But the embarrassing takes by some JMU fans after Saturday's game was beyond the pale. So was was Signetti's presser. Will JMU football coach ever take responsibility, own a loss? And I think Ezra is back to last season days because the way he wove in that Signetti dig from something that's not even (laughs) remotely related to That is is peak Ezra. That was amazing. He's back, folks. He's back. We missed Just, him, but he's back. It's out of nowhere. So is Signetti's presser. <laughs> while, while we're on the subject. I'm glad you brought up Kurt Signetti's presser, Ezra. I didn't. Will it change? All right. All right. All right. Oh so last week for the Sun Belt Weekly pick um, we both were on App State, which is a good thing because App State picked up the win, folks. App State destroyed Georgia State. 42. Can I say something from that? I, th- yeah. I think they're. Um, I think Sean Clark after the game said that they had started to find their identity, which I thought was my favorite thing ever. It's like they just ran the ball against a horrible defense. He's like, "We know who we are." It's <laughs> like, okay, all right, if you say so. Big time game over there in the Sun Belt West as Troy took down South Alabama in an absolute barn burner. Troy wins ten to six against the South Alabama Jaguars. That's big for Sun Belt West reasons. Mm-hmm. Both teams are now two and one in Sun Belt. Well, both teams now have one loss in Sun Belt action. Marshall took down JMU. We all know. Come on, get out of here. Army 
took down UL Monroe. We both were on Army. Georgia Southern, they went to ODU, and they took down the Monarchs. Is Georgia Southern for real, folks? They might be because there's two and two in Ventrice is a um, he's a savage on Twitter. What do you do? There was something that was like ODU fans were getting all hype about how many sacks they had before, and they're like, "We're about to eat on this offensive line." And he tweeted like after the game, he's just like, "LOL." <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, Arkansas like, State lost by twenty to Louisiana. Why were you on Arkansas State? Those are my boys, man. Butch Jones right. has those guys fired up to play. We both were on Southern Miss, so that leaves us both with a two-loss week. We're keeping pace with each other right now. Are you ready for this week? I'm always ready. All right, so this week, kicking things off on a Thursday, Louisiana is on Southern Miss. Southern Miss is a one-point favorite. Southern Miss, I think, you know, if Troy wasn't as good as Troy was... I think Southern Miss would be the pretty obvious favorite in the West. They're a team that many people say um, are dogs. They're just filled with dogs. So I like them to win that Specific, one. Specifically Frank Gore Jr. Old Dominion. This is a shocker of a game. Heads down to Georgia State. Georgia State's a four-point favorite. Yeah, that line is fascinating to me. That seems a little fishy. I'll take Georgia State because of that. All right, I'm digging ODU because I don't think Georgia State's that good. No, and ODU, not. while they've, they've lost a few games here, they're 3-4, but 2-1 and one in Sunbelt. They've taken down Coastal. They hung tough with Georgia Southern last week. I think their offense is finding its rhythm, which is unfortunate news for JMU, who played them in three weeks. Robert Morris. Do you remember Robert Morris? <laughs> remember when we were like, oh, they're pretty good. They're actually <laughs> they play good. App State. <laughs> who do you have? They're 0-7 this year. I like App State in this game. Upset of the century. I'm giving Robert Moore the chance to just keep his <laughs> App State all day. South Alabama, Arkansas State. Who do you, South Alabama, 12 and a half point favorite. Arkansas State, now widely regarded as one of the worst teams in the nation. <laughs> I, I like South Alabama. I like South Alabama too. I'm glad you're on the Jaguar hype train. And a fantastic game, if you ask me. Coastal takes on Marshall. 7 p.m. NFL Network on Saturday. Marshall, a two-point favorite. The total is set at 55.5. Marshall kind of needs this game if they want to stay in pace for the Sunbelt East. And I'll also say, if you're a JMU fan, you might want to be rooting for Marshall in this game. Because I think Marshall will probably drop one more throughout this season. And I know I'm thinking way too far ahead. Jamie's in the middle of a two-game losing streak with three <laughs> Sunbelt games left. It's really far out to think that they can win the Sunbelt East. But maybe you want Marshall to win, not Coastal down to two losses, and then you hope Marshall loses another. Who do you got? Coastal is a gigantic fraud. Uh, I like Marshall in this spot. I think it's it's actually a shame how much of a fraud Coastal is. It's, it's embarrassing. Grayson they might not win another game the rest of the way. That's insane. They'll be just kidding. They'll be UVA. They might not win another Sun Belt game the rest of the way. That's insane. Because I'm going coastal in this game. I know they're a fraud. <laughs> Look, Marshall's a bigger fraud. <laughs> I love that they're like, whatever they are over the last three years, they're like 28 and three. <laughs> and we're like, Look, we know they're frauds. <laughs> I can't wait for them to beat us the last week of the season. <laughs> oh, that would and- be horrible. 
and coastal fans to dig up our podcast clips because you know coastal fans will and be like, these are the stupid head doo-doo heads that called us frauds. Like it'll be something ridiculous, but they are frauds. So. All right. Anything else you got to add? No. We'll be back next week with a men's basketball, women's basketball preview. Exciting yeah. stuff. It's the bye week, so not a lot to break down. We'll do basketball preview and probably a bit of a, um, what I guess next week would be a Louisville preview. So basketball instead of review and whatever. However we do it, we'll do it. Basketball coming up we'll next. Maybe a special guest in there. Maybe try and get someone to talk yeah. about the Dukes. Uh, we'll put our put our ears to the phones and try and get someone for you all. But um, we'll see what happens. Anything else you want to add? No, just looking forward to the opportunity to have every opportunity and every chance. Stay all humble, right. The standard <laughs> is the standard. For, as Steve Sarkeesian would say, the standard is the standard, but when we reach the standard, we got to make a new standard, folks. This has been the Jamie Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online and Three Notch. Still have a wonderful rest of your night. See you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.